Stand with me. I want to go to Second Kings chapter 13, verse 14. I'm going to ask that you not run in and out tonight. Unless it's emergency. I know we're at a conference and we're not supposed to ask you to do not to do that. But this is still church. And we don't need no distractions. So please, if you could um, just uh, honor the presence of the Lord, I'd appreciate that tonight, and I know the Lord would. Second Kings chapter 13, verse, I'm going to start reading verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him, and wept over his face, and said... O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands and he said open the window window eastward that's a Kentucky term window when I was in Ohio I learned how to talk when I moved back to Kentucky I digressed and he opened it then Elisha said shoot and he shot and he said the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them and he said Elisha speaking notice God's already promised him complete victory but now the man of God says Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. He stopped. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but three times or but thrice. My subject tonight is the test of the arrows. My subsubject is requirements for complete 
victory. I want you, if you would, everybody in this place, if you close your eyes, lift your hands and your voice as loud as you can lift it. To magnify a God that is great and greatly to be praised. Turn around to five or six people and say, I am so glad that I am an apostolic Pentecostal believer. You can be seated in Jesus' name. The Apostolic Pentecostal Movement is a great movement. Any comments I say tonight is not to harm or to belittle, but it's just, it's just a young man, not an elder, putting his finger on the pulse of this generation. God never sends ministry without a mandate to bring people to a point of decision. The Bible tells us that when we speak of victory in an apostolic church, the definition of victory to most young people and to this generation is a Sunday night dance. It's a Sunday night blowout, talking in tongues a little bit, going out to stake and shake doing our thing maybe um, maybe victory is when you feel like you've overcome a small temptation but yet we relegate ourselves to yielding to the larger temptations but yet we feel like we're doing better and we're doing all right we're in the church um, a victory is when you completely overcome your enemy it's the cutting off of Goliath's head. It's dancing on the grave of your enemy. It's not coexisting with your adversary. The Bible said Jesus didn't come to coexist with the devil, but he come to, de to destroy all the works of the devil. I'm not interested tonight in partial victories. I get no glory, and I don't really feel good about partial victories. But when I can leave a service knowing that the adversary that tried to rob, strip, molest that service is now laying in a grave somewhere. I want complete victory. I want complete victory over the devil, over the world, and over my flesh. I want complete victory over body, soul, and spirit. I want complete victory over my desires, my emotions, and my actions. Therein lies the joy of the Lord is when you are completely free of an adversary that has tormented you for years. This generation cannot settle for partial victories. I rebuke ignorance among us. I rebuke the fact that we think that we are completely free 
just because we run an aisle or dance a little bit. When the dancing's over, there's got to be a walking this holy way. When the talking in tongues is over, there's got to be a lifestyle to back up what you danced about. We have raised up a generation that was more interested in numbers than in quality of experience. We have made some people twofold more children of hell because we've told them they've got the Holy Ghost. They've mumbled a little bit. I know this is going to hurt. But it's just going to have to hurt. <laughs> they mumbled a little bit in our zeal. We said, you've got it. You've got it. You've got it. But when all hell breaks loose against them, they feel no power. They feel no strength. They feel no fortitude. They feel no hope. Then they start to wonder, where's the power of the Holy Ghost? It must not be real. When in actuality, we know it's real. I want numbers, but I want them to have the real deal. Joash, the king of Israel, evil king. But yet he heard the man of God was about to die, Elisha. Elisha was laying on his sick bed. When the king came to where he was, he condescended from his lofty position as a king to humble himself in the presence of a man of God. And he had great respect for this man of God. He had heard his prophecies spoken he had heard of his miracles done and now he's afraid if the preacher is going to die who is going to be the protection of israel who's going to be the voice among us that's going to keep us in line even though he could not restore or he could not reform joash joash had great respect for the man of God. He neglected the prophet, but he respected the prophet. He, he neglected and rejected what the prophet had said, but yet he respected what he stood for. And he knew that if the man of God dies, that the prayers that have withheld his nation for so many years would all vanish away. It's the same way today. If a man of God is dismissed in any age or generation, then that generation goes into spiritual death and apostasy. So the first requirement that we need for complete victory, Joash said it, we need a preacher in our life. We need a man of God. You don't need a puppet. You don't need somebody to tell you what you want to hear. You need somebody that's going to preach you out of hell and preach you into heaven. We need men that don't just preach one thing and live another. But their heartbeat is the precious lambs of God. And if we love Jesus, we will feed his sheep. My father, my father, that statement was said by Elisha when Elijah was taken away, when a double portion was hanging in the balance. 
The Bible said in the second Kings chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, and Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them to pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank. Jordan smote the waters and they departed. They separated. What I'm trying to say tonight is this. If we're going to have a double portion from the mantle of a godly and holy generation that's going off the scene. There's got to be some things we've got to take off before we can put that kind of anointing on. We've got to rid ourselves of pride. We've got to rid ourselves of arrogance. We've got to rid ourselves of selfishness. We've got to rid ourselves of lying and dishonesty so we can take a double portion of what Elijah had. The man of God don't just affect one generation. He affects generation after generation after generation. The Bible said that when Israel crossed over Jordan, after the priest with the Ark of the Covenant put their feet in the water, that the water stood up, banked up for Israel to cross. And the Bible said that God instructed the man of God, tell men to carry stones from the place where the priest's feet stood firm and put them up on the bank. And when the next generation of young kids comes along, they're going to say, Mama, Daddy, what mean ye by these stones? You're to tell them, this is where God brought you through. How he brought you out of the world, brought you into the church and the promise. And they said, how are we going to know if there's no stones? Let me tell you, those stones were placed there from the place where the feet of the priest stood firm. If there is no firm foundation under our preaching, the next generation will never know that God can bring them out. When we raise our hands one more time. God's ministry don't just affect one generation, but a man that stands in a firm place, preaches a firm word. Stones from that man's ministry will be placed on the bank of the next generation for the next generation to see. From that man's preaching, they're going to know that there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, above all, in all, through all. Because a man stands in a sure place, he's not going to recant on the necessity, the absolute necessity of baptism in Jesus' name. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and whatsoever you do in word or in deed you do it all in the name of Jesus Christ we need men that are going to preach firm 
in a firm place. They're going to stand for holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. They're not going to back down because of Hollywood, because of the schools, because of the government, because of the world. We're not in this thing just to look Christian. We're in this thing to be saved. Sometimes I think this generation is in an apostolic fantasy world. You've got great preachers, great singers. We're like robots. We know when to raise a hand. We know when to dance. We know when to run. But there needs to be a reality check in this generation. You don't dance because the music's good. You dance because you've been redeemed. We need to lay aside the facade and be apostolic. The man of God looked at that young king, said, I want you to take up your bow. And your arrows, pull them out for me, please. He said, take up your bow and your arrows. Your bow and your arrows. I was looking up that word bow and it took me to a scripture about Joseph. How that Joseph, when his daddy defined him as a young man, He said, Joseph, your name alone means addition and increase. You are a fruitful bough that's planted by a well whose branches run over the wall. Your beauty is lofty over the things of this world. Your beauty is beyond measure. You're not, you're not looking like the world. You go above the world. And the Bible said that you run over the wall. What you look like and your character will never allow you to be confined by the walls of this world. I feel like an apostolic church is about ready to walk over some wall. I'm tired of feeling like I'm hemmed in. Are you tired of feeling like you're walled up? Hey! He will not be confined physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or geographically. Because he said when he died... When you leave Egypt, you take my bones with you. Because I am not going to be confined to this world. You get me out of here. Joseph, the Bible said as a fruitful vine planted by a well. It's always good to be planted by an eternal source. He was planted and the archers drew back and shot arrows at him. The archers tried to destroy him. His brethren tried to kill him. His Potiphar's wife tried to destroy him. Potiphar tried to kill him. But Joseph himself, the Bible said, was a strenuous archer whose bow abides in his strength. In other words, he was a young man that had conviction. He would not bow down to Potiphar. He would not bow down to Potiphar's wife. And he would not bow down to his brother. We don't need a generation that's just living right, looking holy, because your pastor's carrying the burden of holiness. Hey, Joseph, you need to get something in your spirit. 
can preach against TV, radio, phones. We can preach against iPods. We can preach against computers. But if this ain't in your heart, there ain't nothing going to keep you away from doing your fleshly desire. But if it gets in your heart, we ain't going to have to worry about none of that. Let's get real. We're living in the last day. We got to love the truth and sell it now. that colorful garment let's strip him of daddy's divine favor Joseph said you can have the coat but you can't take what's in here let's throw him in a pit let's kill him in that pit Joseph said throw me in the pit but you can't take what's in here sell me to a caravan sell me to Potiphar Tempt me by Potiphar's wife. Throw me in a jail. But you can't take what's in here. Sooner or later, no matter how low you throw me down, there's going to be an exalting. God's going to bring me out. Hallelujah. You're not like everybody else. You've been born by water and born by spirit. A generation that follows an ungodly world will pull your bow up in the midst of a battle. And it will deceive you and snap. It's a faulty bow. When there is no true conviction in us, we will never last. But when we have true conviction against Hollywood, against Facebook, I'm telling you, when you've got true conviction, all hell breaks loose and you raise up against it to fight against it. Your bow ain't going to break. Hell ain't going to break you. And the old prophet gets up. Dying on his bed, Brother Marks. And he says, I got to teach this young man a lesson before I go. It scares me to death. To think about what it's going to feel like. Not to have an E.D. pocket. Not to have a Brother Golden. Or a Brother Coon. It scares me to death. The old man raised up. And he said, pick up your bow and your arrows. And he did. And when he did, he said, I want you to open the window <laughs> eastward. Your enemy's out there. You've been surrounded for a long time. For complete victory, we not only need a preacher, we not only need convictions. We got to have anointing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he said, I want you to draw that bow back. Come here. Come here, my brother. Come here. I need you. Hurry. Hurry. He said, I want you to draw that bow back. Draw it back. Ooh. And the old man, the old prophet, got behind him and put his hands on his hands. <laughs> We need young men strength in this last day.
but we need all men's direction. We need hands on our hands. They represented supernatural power to a natural man to do supernatural things. Oh, God help us. We can't do it by our might, nor by our power. We need God's Spirit. Healing don't come from performance. It's a divine gift. We need that anointing. Fresh anointing. David said, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Get stale. My worship gets stale. My living gets stale until I can find a place to receive fresh oil. The day I stop preaching with passion is the day I'm going to stop preaching because I'm not eloquent. I ain't got smarts. Man, all I got is an experience that burns in my soul and a love for truth that I'm really to fight for. If we don't have this, we ain't got nothing. But if we got anointing, we got everything. It destroys every, not just some, every yoke. Rehoboam said, I'm not going to listen to the counsel of an elder. He took the counsel of young men. So his kingdom split. Whenever young men heed the counsel of youth before the counsel of elders, there's always a split in the making. Don't get afraid. You young preachers better listen up. I love you. But you're not better than the elders. You're not smarter. You take an elder out of your life, you'll be in an emergent church. You take an elder out of your life, you'll be in light doctrine. You take an elder out of your life, you'll be in preterism. You take an elder out of your life, You better pray to God. There's always hands on your hand. Anointing. The gift comes through anointing, Paul told Timothy. The anointing. Then another requirement we need is opportunity. And God gives opportunity. Open the window eastward. God never will redirect you around your obstacle. I hope I ain't putting nobody asleep. I didn't say that to get a response. I saw somebody back there kind of act like they didn't know what was going on. I thought, oh Lord. Here we go. Generation needs opportunity. God will never redirect you around your obstacle or around your adversary. When he opened that window, he was looking into the face of the Syrian army. And the prophet said, shoot your arrow, which simply means we declare war. I don't know if I'm ready for war. But the prophet said, shoot the arrow. You know what? 
Do you ever get tired of dancing around the issue? As a saint of God, don't you get tired of just wondering like brother, brother, uh, brother Jackson said today, proving God over it. Is it really real? Don't you get tired of that? Why don't you just one day just stand up, bury your face somewhere and say, devil, this is where I'm going to stand. This is what I believe. And I'm not going to go around you. I'm not going to go over you. I'm going to go through you. Paul said, I'm going to tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For there's a great door and effectual is open unto me. And there are many adversaries. But I'm going to go and I'm going to have revival. And the Lord said, Give me those arrows. And the Lord said, You can be seated. Now I'm going to give you complete victory. You listen. I'm going to give you complete victory over Syria. The Lord said that. And all he did was the prophet got up out of his deathbed, put his hands on him, opened the wind, and shot an arrow out. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you victory. That sounds like 2,000 years ago at Calvary when Jesus said it is finished. He wasn't talking about suffering being over. He wasn't talking about the pain being gone. He was talking about dominion that hell had taken away in the garden. It's over. Hell has no more dominion over you. The devil can't make me shut up. The devil can't make me sit still. The devil can't stop me from growing. The devil can't stop me from living right. It's finished. Devil, you're defeated. I need a young man. Come here, bud. Get up here. Please, here, there is six arrows right there, okay? And the man of God, you're Joash, come here. When I tell you smite them on the ground, one at a time, I don't want you to lay it down, okay? So the man of God, the Lord's already said, you've already won. The battle's yours. And you know what happened to him? Just like it happens to this generation. We don't got to do nothing now. We just lay back, chill out, and enjoy the blessing. I get so sick of that stuff. I'm not going to do outreach. I'm not going to teach Bible studies. I'm not going to pray with nobody around the altar. It's finished. The battle's already over. Listen to me. As adults, I'm not here to preach to you, but I'm going to talk to you. As adults, it is a spiritual crime for you to sit back and not wave your hand, not lift your voice, not shout hallelujah. It's a spiritual crime for you just to show up at peak or at church and not do nothing because it's finished. You can't have revival if you ain't going to do nothing. You can't have victory if you ain't going to do nothing. This generation's got to wake up. We got to rise up. We got to shake ourselves. And when we shake ourselves, we got to shake ourselves of the world and of the chains of deceit. One partial victory. I want complete.
I want you to strut a little bit. Strut, man. When they heard the voice of God, all of a sudden that young king, pardon the expression, he was a cocky young king. He was dancing around like a little banny rooster. Victory, victory. It is mine. The man of God saw something that prompted him to take him to another level of testing. He said, smite the ground with your arrows. No, no, no. Okay, pick it up, please. Smite the ground with the arrow. Okay. One. Everybody say one. Two. Three. Stop. And he put the arrows back in his quiver. He looked around. God, that arrogance. Arrogance. Lack of concern for victory in the church. You know what? I hate to apologize, but I feel bad because I'm preaching this mean at a conference. But you know what? Some of you all are too arrogant to be in Hope Corps. You think you're just a cut above everybody else. You think you're a little bit better than everybody else. You're just a little bit too good to be used of God. So I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to apply my talent somewhere else. And when the efforts ask of you, you'll go three arrows, but you won't go no further. And the man of God said, did God tell you he'd give you complete victory? He said, yeah, no. Now you're only going to have three victories. Because the amount of victory you live in is in direct proportion to the amount of effort you put forth. Whether or not five or six arrows, and you only you only struck the ground three times, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just the way I, I did it. Don't victory mean no more to you than that. Well, God already gave me the victory. He's already given it to us too, two thousand years ago. But He don't intend for us to sit in a pew and cross our arms and act like nothing's going on in the world. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith that leads to a lack of effort. A lack of faith that leads to a lack of effort. Because whatever a man believes in, that's where he extends his energies. Everybody say we are the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. You're the generation. The first generation lusted after evil things. They were in idolatry. They committed fornication. They tempted Christ by saying he serves us. We don't serve him. They murmured and they were destroyed by a destroyer. And they were examples for us and for our admonition. Because what happened in the beginning is going to happen in the end.
And you better beware of it. You're the generation. There's, it's not somebody else. It's our responsibility. The rest of this sermon is probably not going to be theologically in alignment. <laughs> but I feel like the Holy Ghost spoke this to me. There was three arrows left in his pouch. We put forth great efforts in doing good things. I think we got our praise down right. That, that, that effort's been extended and and I think we got our holiness down right. That, that effort's been extended. And I think to the most part we listen to the man of God. That effort's been extended. But what about those other three arrows? They had to represent something else. And what I'm getting ready to give you, it just come from God. There is three areas that I don't think we give enough effort to. I don't believe, I feel like the Holy Ghost is grieved over these three areas. And some folks, not all, but most, some, I'll say some. The Bible says in Jude 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of a common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered unto the saints. And when I read that scripture, it seemed like the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, does this generation really feel like this book is worth defending? Are you just living this book? Because you've got a pastor that believes it. But if something happens and he goes by the way of the grave. And somebody else comes in and preaches something else. Are you just going to go along with that? Or are you going to stand up and give an effort to defend the truth? There's got to be more fight in us. I think we need to smite the ground tonight with an arrow that says to the Lord, we're going to fight till we die. It's not an option. It's not an option. You either fight or you die. Phineas, sit back. Watch his granddaddy Aaron. His daddy Eliezer, Israel, in a digression, all of a sudden, two people come to the threshold of the church, and they're committing whoredoms, fornicating, and it's about ready to come into the church. Phineas! Third generation priesthood said, I'm not going to let this happen. I know my daddy's in charge. I know my grandfather is a high priest here. But he said, you know what? There comes a time in every man's life, whether young or old, he's got to defend the truth and the sanctuary and the presence of the Holy God. I believe that there is some finishes here tonight. I'm not going to sit back and let it happen. I'm ready to fight. We've lost, to some degree, this generation. And please don't take me wrong. I'm sorry I'm just preaching. But some of you even, you in some of the, you're in some of the best churches. But you've lost the fear of God. 
You don't even feel conviction over some things you're doing. You've done exposed yourself to it over and over and over and over and over. And now your conscience is seared. And you don't have no feeling one way or another, really. It ain't hurting my worship any. Really, it's dead in your spirit to the place you can't even feel whether you're hurt or not. You've got to fight. I talked to a person here a while back. Into porn. And I said, man, you've got to come out of that stuff. It's like a pit, Brother Tiller. He says, you fall into it. And he says, you get so wrapped up in that stuff that you feel like you're in a dark hole. And you can't even, you can't even raise your hands. You feel so heavy under that spirit. And you wonder if you'll ever really come out of it and be delivered from it. And we went through some counseling and we went through some things and, and we talked a little bit and, but mostly we prayed. I rebuked spirits and finally, man, he came in after a week, pastor. He still calls me pastor, but I'm really not his pastor. He said, he said, guess what? Been a week. I don't even have a desire for it no more. I said, don't drop your guard. It's now been, it's now been a long time. He said, I feel victory. I feel deliverance. I'm telling you, you can come out of it if you're willing to fight a little bit. Don't just lay there and die. You gotta get up. Second arrow that I think we have not even smoked the ground with. We don't even, I don't think we've even exhausted in any measure. And please, I'm just, I'm preaching. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. We pay our tithes, bless our heart. There's charismatic churches that can get up in five minutes with 200 people in the church and take up $150,000. I'm telling you, we're not giving. We are not putting forth enough effort. You can sit on me all you want to about it. But I'm going to tell you, until you let loose of those purse strings, you ain't going to see victory in your family. You ain't going to see victory in your kids. You ain't going to see victory. You've got to let it go. He's the Lord over my house. He's the Lord over my life. But he's not the Lord over your bank account. This generation, hear me, we can talk about evangelizing the world all you want to. If we had 500 kids, how in the world would we finance it? But if there's a generation, and, and I'm not disrespectful to your parents, don't get me wrong. But if you live in a home that's stingy, don't pay the tithes even. And you think I can just be like that. You better get that garbage out of your mind. I'm going to tell you something. Not just pay your tithes. But God, anything else you want me to give, I'll give it. 
I believe when we open up the fountain of giving, I believe the Lord's going to begin to pour into us things you cannot even perceive and conceive. He's not just the Lord over your house and your car. He's the Lord over all. Everybody say my money. I'm going to give it more effort. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to put my faith in God. This little widow goes back to the principle that I read to you about the arrows. Victory or defeat is not determined by what has been used or what has been done or what has been given. But by what remains. It's not what you give. It's not what you give. You can write a check for a thousand dollars. But if you've got another thousand in your bank account, somebody else can lay down one dollar and that's all they have. And God said they gave more than you. Because God don't judge by what you give. He judges by what's left over. Victory or defeat. It's not determined by what you give. It's determined by what's left in the quiver. Why don't we lift our hands? Hold on. Hold on. I gotta say this last one. Oh God. All of a sudden, man, I feel so insignificant. Oh God. The third arrow. I know we're trying, and after what we've just seen, I hate to even go this route, but I feel like I've got to do it. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore. We've not put enough effort in it. Yeah, there's some that have. But not all of us. We're not separated. We're unified. The strengthening of one is the strengthening of us all. I don't think we've, we've put forth enough effort here. I didn't know this was going to be a hope court night. Not until yesterday. God's been dealing with this, with me with this for about three or four days. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm just doing what I feel in the Holy Ghost. I need all the hope court people to come up here. All the hope court people come quickly. But the Bible said, as much as the Bible said for you to pay tithes, as much as the Bible said for you to be obedient, the Bible said, go. It don't have to be in a foreign country neither. It can be to your neighbor. 
It could be down the street. It could be to the drug rehab. It could be to the jail, to the juvenile detention center. It could be on a bus picking up kids. It don't have to be overseas, but yet it can be. It could be to Russia. It could be to Belize. It could be to Brazil. It could be to Honduras. It could be, but the main thing is go. Go, 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 go. I believe in hell. I believe that every man that is not repented of their sin, not been baptized in Jesus' name, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evident speaking in tongues, I believe they're on their way to hell. And as much as I believe in hell, I gotta believe in the church. That will go into the highways and the byways. Ladies and gentlemen, if God judges not by what we send, And not by what we do, but by what's left. The ladies and gentlemen, this is what we've extended to a lost world. And this is what's left. Is there anything left? We pray. Is there anything left? We sacrifice. But is there anything left? We work. But is there anything left? God to give us preachers. And God to give us anointing. And God will give us opportunity. But what good is a preacher? And what good is anointing? And what good is opportunity? If we're not even going to put forth the effort. I don't want partial victory. I want complete victory. I didn't come here to exalt an enemy that's taking its toll on some of us. But I come here to let you know. Like David of old, you could put a stone in your hand. The most insignificant thing that the Bible speaks of is a stone being thrown at a giant. But the most significant point in the Old Testament could be when God picked up that stone in midair and stuck it in the head of that giant. He let David know, son... I've anointed you not for partial victory, but for complete. I want us all to stand. There ain't enough room for the front. But I really feel no spirit. And I know God wants willingness. He can't make us do. He ain't going to make us. He could, but he ain't. He ain't going to make us, Brother Booker. When they built that temple, he said, I want people to give from a willing heart.
I want them to give because they love me. Because they want to. I want Hope Corps. I don't want you to come to Hope Corps because your mom and dad said, I want you out of the house for a while. I don't want you to come to Hope Corps because you think you're going to meet up with some slick chick. No. No. It's a lot deeper. It's about some kids that said, I've given, I've worshipped, I've prayed. But when I checked my quiver, there were some things I had left. And I want to extend them. And I want to give. I wish the Lord would move in this place. And I wish we would all be so willing for the Lord to pour us out before Him like a drink offering. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all. <laughs> oh, that's in me. Oh. I don't want to hold back anything tonight, God. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to give it all. I hear Him calling you. You're in the test right now. You're in the test. You're in the test of arrows right now. I want complete victory. Why don't we all lift our hands to Him, let out a praise and cry unto God. I feel a spirit of intercession wanting to move in this place. We prayed. But there's some more left inside of me than you. I've cried, God, but there's more tears to be shed. What about love? What about mercy? What about What about? 